Awesome. Well, let me just start by saying you're in for a real treat. Um, a little over two years ago, well, a little over two and a half years ago, actually, uh, I met uh, Bob. Uh, we, we met in Lexington, Kentucky, and um, I was... Um, I was there. We were. Uh, it was the first power and love that I was um, speaking at, and and uh, when I, I I sat in a session, um, I had we for some reason we we never usually did this, but we uh, we had it to where everybody had did a whole day, all you know, three sessions all in one day, which is like for anybody who does this knows how brutal that is uh, to do. Uh, but I remember sitting through. Uh, sitting through his first session and I, I came away uh, just going, man, I, I'm going to learn a lot from this man. I'm going to grow a lot uh, just being a friend to him, just, just being, and I'm going to learn everything I can from him. And um, I really came away from that uh, just really having a, a great fondness in my heart for Bob. And, and uh, over the past two and a half years, we've become very good friends. Now, he won't say this, but I'm the best friend he's ever had. <laughs> And so I just want to introduce him that way. Uh, <laughs> wait, his eyebrows are raised, which means it's not true, and that really bothers me. No, I'm teasing. No, he's uh, he's 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 such a special and dear man. And and there's let me say let me say that uh, you want to make sure. I know he's going to talk about these, but you want to make sure and get his his. his, his any of the teaching guys, listen. Don't let him go back with any of the materials at his table. Do yourself a favor because everything he's got back there is pure gold, and you're going to want to seriously get everything. You will learn so much from it. Uh, his book, Think Like Heaven, which is his most recent book, and then also The Roar, which is just an, both are just phenomenal books, and you'll just get an insight into just how much the Lord wants to use you through that. And so I appreciate Bob because he really has a passion. I, I say to people all the time, I'm not, I, I don't respect prophets who don't raise up prophets. Uh, I, I, I don't really have any respect for teachers who don't raise up teachers or evangelists who don't raise up evangelists. Because that's the number one job description of the fivefold ministry is to equip the church to do whatever their area. And that is the heart of this man is not just to operate in gifting that he has, but it, to, to get it operating in you. And so uh, do me a favor. Would you just just uh, stand and honor Bob Hazlett, a true gift to the body of Christ. Can I hold that? Can I have that handheld? Can I have that too? Let me just for something else here. Thank you guys very much. Thanks for that. Best by best friend. Does that mean the friend that I listen to the longest on phone calls when we talk? Is that that's good? We have some marathon talks. It's awesome. My wife. When we have. We have this deal when we, we uh, have our talks, we have, we have coffee, because that's the only way I can keep paying attention is if, I'm, if I have caffeine in my system, so I definitely have that gift of non-focus, but, uh, but we're better off, like we don't have face-to-face conversation, we drive and have coffee talks, and that works out good. So I usually, when I, I'm going to talk to Robbie, I'm in the car, because it's just easier for me to focus when I'm distracted. Does anybody relate to that? It's like I always had to do my homework with the TV on and headphones in. And my mom was like, how can you focus? I'm like, I can't focus if it's quiet. So that's prophetic people. They have a lot of conversations going on in their heads, right? And so some of you are like, yeah, that's me too. I thought I had a problem. No, you have a gift. 
<laughs> so thank you for that introduction, uh, Robbie and, and Van. Thank you for having us. And it's nice to meet your wife and your, your son. And it's, it's good to be part of a, a church that, not just that you have a family doing ministry, but that your ministry is family, your church is family. And I feel that way here. It's really cool. And it's cool to be a, in a in a vineyard church, I don't have a lot of relationships uh, within the vineyard movement, but one of my dearest friends is the, um, the director of the vineyard in Germany, Switzerland, Austria. His name is Martin uh, Bullman, and uh, we, we Skype once a month. We were just talking yesterday. He said, where are you going? I said, oh, I think I'm going to Cincinnati. I'm like, oh, I think it's a vineyard. He's like, yay, vineyard. <laughs> so, yay, vineyard. Everybody say, yay, vineyard. So it's great to be here. Uh, this weekend, we're going to have a great time. I love the topic, by the way, that we're talking about. And I'm sure Robbie brought it last night. He's got a book on this topic uh, called Identity Thief. And so uh, you should take a look at that. The resources that we have, and I will just take a moment to tell you, because I think, you know, in a weekend like this, there's an initiation of something that God wants to bring. But what did Paul say to Timothy? He said, fight the good fight of faith. How? By fanning into flame the gift of God that's in you through the laying out of my hands. And so we can have imparted to us through, a, through encounters, through laying on of hands, through teaching. We can have something encountered or initiated in our life. But we have to establish it in our life. And one of the ways you establish it is by doing it. How do you establish the prophetic in your life? By doing it, by opening your mouth. How do you prophesy? Well, there's a lot of ways you can prophesy, but there's only one way that you can't prophesy. And that's by keeping your mouth closed. Jesus said, when you stand before people, open your mouth and I will fill it. Right? So here's how you prophesy. Open your mouth, start talking. Eventually God will say something smart <laughs> or you'll just run out of words and it'll be fine. Everything will work out. So, uh, but how you, how you don't prophesy is don't open your mouth. So you got to put it into practice. And so we want to give you some uh, resources to help you put it into practice. And, um, I've been doing this since, since about 2001. I've been doing training in prophetic and power evangelism and, uh, just helping to equip the church. And so I've gathered some resources and tools. How many of you know, Randy Clark, uh, his ministries, good friend of ours. And so I've been teaching at his school since the first year it started and, uh, his voice of the prophets conference for the last six years and, uh, regional prophetic schools. We did, I have two schools of prophecy. There are four CDs each. The first one is really different modes of communication communication, how God speaks, how you can remove hindrances uh, from hearing God. It's really how God speaks to you personally and then how he can speak to you for, uh, for other people. One session is called, and this is kind of a cool title, Master Seven Principles to Speaking Prophetically to Non-Religious People. You can tell I wrote that back in 2003. And so <laughs> I should just retitle it, How to Be Prophetic Without Being Pathetic. And that could... Uh, <laughs> But I'm actually still learning that, so I haven't mastered it yet. This is school number two, also four CDs. This is more about the seer realm, how, how you can see in the spirit. And you say, well, I don't see in the spirit. Yes, you do. You're just not aware of it. And so there's a lot of things you see you don't acknowledge, you don't see. You have to become aware before you can access it. This tells you how, tells you how to become aware of the unseen. Um, how to put that into practice in a, in a practical way, Dr- the realm of dreams and visions, a whole hour of Q and a on prophecy and the prophetic that's there. And then also part of our prophetic library and have a whole side of my table. That's the school of prophecy and a whole other side. That's a school of life purpose and school of prophecy teaches you what to do, how to hear God's voice, but also what to do when you hear it. And so these three teachings are two CDs, uh, each, they tell you what to do 
when you get a word from God. So what do I do when God speaks to me? And so there's different things we need to learn. One is, you know, what is it that I have to do and what is it that God does? This is called let there be light. What to do with the prophetic word that you get from God. Many people, they ask me, you know, what do I do with this prophecy? And if you try to do what only God can do with your prophetic word, you're going to end up getting hurt because only God can do that. But if you expect God to do what you're supposed to do with your prophetic word, you're going to end up getting frustrated because you're going to be expecting God to do something that he's actually asking you to do. Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. God can only make you the father of many nations, but there's something you have to do to become a father. And Abraham had a lot of practice at that. So, (laughs) hey, don't become weary in well-doing, as they say. All right. (laughs) Moving along. This is called... This is called now is the time. Anybody ever have a promise or a prophetic word from God that hasn't come to pass? And anybody ever ask God, when, God, when? Anybody been asking that question this week? When, God, when? Has anybody ever gotten an answer to that question? I've never gotten an answer to that question. I mean, I, I would love if God just showed up and said, yeah, meet me on the corner of uh, Fifth and Broadway and I'll answer <laughs> all your destiny dreams. But it doesn't happen that way, right? In fact, there was a a period in my life for three years I was asking God this question about one thing, just one promise. When are you going to do this one thing, God? I need to know when this is going to happen. When, God, when? And do you know what answer I got? Nothing. Like, not even, like, crickets chirping. It was like, silence, the heavens are brass. And so what do you do when God doesn't answer your question? Just keep asking him questions until you find one he's willing to answer. <laughs> that's just the way it works for me. Because when I was a kid, that's what I did with my dad. I figured either he's going to answer my question eventually or he's going to make me sit in the back back seat of the car. And so God doesn't put you in the back back seat. I asked him that question for three years about one thing in my life, when God went, and I got no answer. So I asked him this question. God, why won't you tell me when? Why won't you answer the question? And immediately I got this response, because that question doesn't make sense to me. I don't live in when, I live in now. So actually Sunday morning I have a, I have a, um, a message I'm going to give to the church. It's time for now favor. And this is about you know, God living in the now. There's no clocks in heaven. Did you know that? There's no time in heaven. There's one worship song, and the worship goes 24-7, and there's only one word to the song, Holy. And nobody says, when is worship going to be over? (laughs) Get it? Because God doesn't live in time. He lives outside of time. And your promises are actually outside of time with God. And so there's a way we can align with the timing of God. This talks about the difference between times and seasons, earthly times and seasons. How to bring your prophetic word from the future into the present. Because I I believe many of you are living, you're living behind your times. You're still dressing like it's the 80s. Thinking... It's coming back in style eventually, right? I believe that some of us are are waiting for God to do something he's already done. He's just waiting for us to receive what he's already done. And and this one's called Image Versus Identity. The message I'm going to talk about tonight is on here about the blood of Jesus. But your prophetic word is making you into something. So that's the whole prophetic library. And we have it on a a USB drive. Everybody say USB. Because it's not a BS drive. It's a USB drive. And so it's prophetic, not pathetic. And uh, so it's, that's 14 hours of teaching, 14, 15 hours of teaching on the prophetic. Um, 
Who has a promise you've been waiting for for a long time and you've been asking God, when, God, when? And um, you also have a birthday this month. Anybody? Oh, you do. Oh, okay. You win. Come on down. All right. Now is the time. Now is your time, as a matter of fact. So God bless you. Wow. That was, I, got, I got excited. I almost jumped up. But I have a word. Somebody has a birthday tomorrow. All right. Um, I have a book. It's called The Roar. Um, it's, it's, um, it's about how God speaks, but it's not how God speaks as a gift. It's not a, it, I, it's, God does give us gifts to he, hear his voice, but prophecy is not just a gift. It's relationship. So I don't teach, I don't begin teaching prophecy as a New Testament gift or an Old Testament grace that comes upon you. I teach it as an identity relationship. What was prophecy like before the fall? What was communion and communication with God like before the fall? And that's what the roar is. In fact, the the place where this word, the roar, comes up first is in Genesis 3. When man sinned and they heard the sound of the Lord in the cool of the day, that word sound is actually the word roar. And what was the cool? the spirit, the ruah of the day was sin. So the cool of the day is the word ruah or spirit or breath. The breath of the day was bad, but the sound of God came in and took the bad breath of the world out. I like that. Some people, if you smell the culture, it can have bad breath, but I believe that God wants to release a sound in this generation. And in every generation, God raises up new voices. But I believe in this generation, he's raising up an entire generation that has his voice. And they're going to bring the sound of the Lord in the cool of the day. In the spirit of the day that's filled with sin, the roar of God is going to be heard. So this talks about how uh, God wants to raise up voices in the culture. In fact, uh, I released this book in, um, in 2014. And I released it at a conference called The Voice of the Apostles uh, in, in Orlando, Florida. It was one of Randy's conferences. And um, my family happened to be with me. We were leaving that conference and my daughter uh, is in the back seat. We're driving to the airport. And she said, hey, dad, on Monday when you released your book, The Roar, there was a song on the radio that was released with the same title, which some of you have heard that song because once you hear it, you can't get it out of your head, right? So I, I said to her, well, who's the artist? I thought she would tell me an artist that she listens to a lot. And she told me the name of the artist. And I said, eh, that's not an approved downloadable artist for you. And she said, but just, just listen to the sample. And so she played that little sample for me, that 30 second sample. And I couldn't get that song out of my head for like two weeks. I was in my quiet time and I got that young lady, you know, you're going to hear me roar. No, it's on my workout playlist. Now I keep my headphones on. I don't want any guys to know I'm listening to bubblegum music, but it, 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 I believe that God is raising up a generation to be a voice for him. And some of them don't even know they were created to be a voice for him. But the sound of God's going to come out over the radio waves by young ladies that were raised to be a voice for God in their generation. They don't know it. They're, God is going to allow his voice to come through unusual places. And so I want to give this to someone, a young lady who feels like God's called you to be a voice through music. God wants to use you through music. Okay, can I give this to you? Awesome. God bless you. All right. All right. So there's some of the resources back there. We'll share some of those with you later. And um, I have some prophetic words I want to give. I think I'm going to do that afterward. Um, or maybe not. Can we do some prophetic words now? Is that all right with you guys? All right. Or maybe not. Maybe, the, maybe these aren't good words. I just have them in my phone. So maybe these aren't. 
Um, so on the right side here, is there a, a Tim? Is there a Tim or a Timothy over to the right? Anyone? Just you, Bob. So you're Tim or Timothy. Is there a Mary? Is there, is there a Tim connected with a Mary? Because I got Tim and Mary together. No? Or is Tim going to get married? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Are you a Tim? And you're Tim? Okay. And your mom's name is Mary. Is your, does your mom need healing for anything? Because I, I, I saw like a, a set of lungs. Does she have anything with her breathing that she deals with? Okay, well, that would be a good thing. So, pray for that. And um, so, there's two things that I had. First of all, when I saw Mary, I saw this set of lungs, right? And then, does she have an issue with her lungs because of that? Or is it just that she's trying to quit, quit the smoking thing? Okay. All right. The second thing, the, the first thing with you, Tim, is I saw these like interlocking rings, and like these, these uh, rings that interlocked and they couldn't be broken. And I just feel like the Lord wants you to know that he's locking you into relationships. That he's locking them stronger than they've been in the last season. And that like this is un, unbroken. It's almost like the infinity symbol. These two rings are together, but then they go like this and it's the infinity symbol. And I just feel like the Lord is saying like he's, he's solidifying some things in relationship that will never ever be broken. And I feel like also God is taking what looked like past relationships that didn't work out and he's bringing something good out of it. He's seen, he's going to let you see a picture of eternity from past relationships. I also feel like there's a real, a a strong uh, gift for healing that God is going to start to rise up inside of you. And I feel like you've been even testing it out and experimenting with it. And I just feel like the Lord is, is saying like, there's been some things almost like in the in the spirit that had been frozen. And I know why, why I see this. Almost like a, a pipe, like, like when the plumbing freezes. And I just feel like the Lord is thawing out the pipes where the things of the spirit are going to start to flow more freely in your life. And I just feel like almost like God's coming like Roto-Rooter in the spirit and like clearing out drains. He's clearing out things that have been clogged up. And he's really releasing a healing flow uh, in your life and in your family. I also feel like there's a real mentoring gift on your life for young men. And I, and I feel like this is a year where God's going to put like young, uh, young men, like teenagers, even like younger teenagers in your life that you're going to be a real mentor to. And there's some of them that it feels like you're, they're tormenting you more than you're mentoring them. But God wants you to know like the ones that are the, even like the, almost the tormentors, they're the tougher ones, the high maintenance uh, young men that God's going to, going to use, bring something great out of their life. I feel like even something with like the, the juvenile delinquent system that God's going to use you in with like even juveniles that have been caught up in a, in a legal system where they can't get out of it, foster care systems where they've been in and out and in and out, but you're going to be one that's going to be like a spiritual mentor and a father to that. So we just bless you in Jesus name. And we just pray for Mary right now. We just, God, we just thank you that nothing's going to have a hold on her, that she can kick any habit she needs to kick and she can kick anything out that needs to be kicked out. And we just bless her breathing, especially at night. I'm just going to say this, maybe, maybe this is right on or maybe it's not right on, but I feel like something comes on her breathing in the night season. And I just break that thing off of her now in Jesus name, no heart palpitations, uh, no waking up in the night season in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Bless you, Tim. Okay. It's just the only problem I have with you, Tim, is you're you're supposed to be on the right side. So you need to, you missed that. 
You need to hear the Lord a little bit more in that one. Just work on it. I know everybody's learning. Everybody's learning to hear God's voice, but you know, just help me out. Sit in the right. Just kidding. Oh yeah, that's right. When I got the word, he was. You got it. You got it right. We'll let you off the hook there. So. You didn't miss that one. I'll give you a, like a 75% on that one. This isn't unusual for me, but is there like a Brie or a Brianna or Brianne, Brie, but they call you Brie or did somebody eat Brie cheese? <laughs> is, is there a Brie or a Brie? Is there a Brie? Do they call you Brie? Okay, and so you're on the wrong side too. Apparently, I, apparently this is dyslexic words of knowledge. So, so uh, that's a, at least at least we got your name. So is it B R E A? Is that how they? B R I A. All right. So anyway, close enough. So Bree, um, I really feel like I saw. Do you have any problem with one of your knees right now? On your knees right now? Is there a lot of pain in your knees right now? Can you stand up? Can you stand up for me? Just want to pray for your knee. But also felt like there's a really great a grace on your life for prayer. And you come from a line of praying women. And God wants you to know that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous woman availeth much. And God wants you to know you tried to run away from the prayers of the praying women in your life. But you couldn't run away. And there's people that you're praying for that are trying to run away right now that can't run away from your prayers. That's why God's healing your knees. Because he's showing you the power of your prayers. And you're going to run after those prodigals. And they're going to come home uh, in this next season. And also I feel like God's going to use you in the lives of women that have been, they've been chased out of their uh, domestic situations through violence. And God's going to use you to chase violence out of their lives. And I even see you reaching young uh, women that are caught up even in like adult industries and the the sex industries and rescuing them out and healing uh, their hearts and healing their bodies. And so Lord, we just pray, just reach a hand toward her right now. Lord, we just pray for Brie right now. We just declare over this arthritis, go now in Jesus name. And I feel like there was a time where you loved to dance and, and the, the devil tried to steal the dance from you, but God is restoring your joy. He's restoring your dance. He's restoring your hope. And so God, we just bless that right now in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, Bree. All right. So it wasn't Bree cheese. That's good. It wasn't Bree cheese. All right. Is there a Joan, Joan E, Joan, Joanie, Joanie, Joan? Is there a Joan or a Joanie? Joan? So you're Joan. Joe. Not Joe. No, Joan. I got Joan. J-O-A-N-E-Y. No? So you're Joanna? I don't know. Should we just work with it? Can we work with that? Do you need, let me just tell you, let me, do you need a word of knowledge for someone to be healed? No. Do you need a word of knowledge to prophesy? No. Just having fun. So it's cool. <laughs> it's all cool. <laughs> you prophesy according to the word of, measure of your faith, not according to your word of knowledge. Right? You pray the prayer of faith and the, and the sick are healed. You don't pray the word of knowledge and the sick are healed. It's cool. Word of knowledge is good because it builds faith. And then also we learn to hear God. I'm not, 
not doing parlor tricks. We're just having fun. We encourage people that God knows them. This is an identity conference, and he knows us by name. So I figured, hey, good time to practice names at an identity conference. Problem is, I'm still learning. I don't want Joan, Joanne to have an identity crisis. So, <laughs> so cool. So cool. And who's, is that guy with you? Or is he just like a friend? Or He's your husband. Okay, cool. Because you were a little cozy there, so I was hoping was, everything was all good. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just I just felt like uh, Joanne, right? Joanne, Joanne. I just I just I just felt like the Lord wants you to know that He is so pleased with your faithfulness and with your patience with other people's lack of faithfulness that they sometimes shown to you, because He's a friend that loves at all times. But you're also you've been a friend that's loved people when it was hard to love them. And God's give you some people has given you some people in your life and friendships that are hard to love and you had to love them through hard times, but you're loving them back into relationship with God and back into relationship with you. And God wants to thank you for that because you're going to be a demonstration of the faithfulness of God, but also how, how faithfulness and relationship restores people back to God. And I feel like God is going to use you to, to reach a lot of uh, people who used to be part of the household of faith that because of unfaithfulness in their life, they left the household of faith. But they're going to see the faithfulness of God. And I see even your home being a place of restoration of people back to relationship with God, but also back to relationships and marriages. And I see the two of you being used to restore marriages, restoring homes. And sir, I see you with these like building tools in your hands, almost like a renovation gift that God's given you. And I feel like the Lord is saying like there's some things that... Uh, look like were times of demolition in your life that God turned into times of renovation. But God's going to give you a gift to renovate homes and to renovate lives. And I even feel like this is a, uh, this is a spiritual promise as well as a natural promise. And I feel like in the same way that God's restored and renovated things in your lives, you're going to restore them and renovate them in others. But there's also coming a gift with real estate for uh, buying homes that need to be renovated, that need to be fixed up. And I saw some of them you'll make money from, but some of them you'll help people get into home situations they couldn't get into. Uh, it would be impossible for them. And God wants to begin to show you that he's a God who, who blesses us in every way of our life. He wants to bless our relationships. He wants to bless our finances. And I feel like there was even some financial loss that you experienced about three to five years ago that God says, I want to give you seven times back what was stolen from you and even people that you were in partnerships and relationships with that you trusted and made you promises that didn't keep them God's going to keep his promises to you in this next season and so would you both just stand to your feet we want to bless you right now God we just declare right now over them the blessing of God of restoration and God I thank you right now in Jesus name there's also a calling on your lives for the nations and God has called you guys to to minister to other cultures and I feel like the Lord is going to use you even uh, to have a house. I saw, the, I saw the enemy come two times and try to steal from you. And the thief tries to steal, kill, and destroy. But God is putting life back into you where the enemy tried to steal twice life from you. And there's even a spirit of adoption that's coming on you. I see even the Lord using you, uh, using you to release his uh, adoptive spirit over orphan children. And your home will be a place where marriages are restored. Your home will be a place where uh, families are restored. Your home will be a place where orphans are restored to the Father. And you're going to be ones who are going to renovate what the devil has destroyed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
God bless you. And you look a little bit like Leonardo DiCaprio. I don't know if you know that or not. Does anybody else think that? It's kind of like that. All right. Sorry. I'm supposed to keep the flow of the spirit. We're so... I just, that's just the way I am. I, I, I think God can be deep and fun. It's, I was going to say shallow, but <laughs> deep and fun at the same time. <laughs> just kidding. Oh my goodness. What did you do here? You created this weird atmosphere for me. You guys are a very easy church. Is, is this the way you normally are? You guys are pretty, it's like, it's a very accepting place, very easy place for people to come into. You, this is a, how many of you actually, this is your home church. This is where you go to church. It's a great place. And if it's not, if you're not, and if you have, don't have a, a home church, this would be a great place because I feel like this is a place, really accepting place, a really accepting place. And, and sometimes I feel like in the past, you guys have gotten criticized because you just accepted people the way they were, but God likes that. He likes it. And there's, there's more people coming that the world hasn't accepted that God's going to accept. I really feel like there's a real grace on this church for, um, like the freaks coming to Jesus in this next season. So I just see the, you have freaks, you have freaks in Cincinnati. There's like a lot of freaks. I see like just a a freak night where all the freaks come. Seriously, I see a real grace. I see like, I see teams of people going out to the streets and going down and and reaching people that are the down and outers and they're going to be lifted up and brought into the church. But there's a real grace for uh, the down and outers that's coming on this church and so, um, yeah, there's a great harvest that's coming. It's awesome. All right, let's go to the Bible. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to do some more tomorrow night. And um, hopefully the, all the rest of the people's names that I have show up and sit on the right side <laughs> tomorrow night. <laughs> so, is there a Ronald? Ron? Ron or Ronald? No, Ron or Ronald? McDonald? Ronnie? Ron? Is there somebody here? Ron? See, I should have quit while I was ahead. No, Ron. Did anybody eat at Ronald McDonald's tonight? Just kidding. Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, we're talking about identity this weekend. Love it. Love this topic. Um, the way I teach the, the prophetic, and it's, it's just my, it's my assignment. It's my assignment, but it's also my relationship. It's my passion to talk to God, to hear God. And, um, and it comes out of, through that relationship, God, the first thing he speaks to you isn't what you're going to do, but who you are. So like Paul says in Ephesians one, I pray that God gives you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might know him and know the hope to which you're called. So prophecy or the spirit of revelation, and this isn't my sermon yet, this is just talking. So when it's, he says that the first thing that happens when God gives you revelation is to know him. He tells you about himself, which tells me that God doesn't have an identity crisis. He doesn't mind talking about himself. Like he wants you to know him. And so if the first thing that he does when he speaks to you is gets you to know him, that tells me he also, when he speaks to you, he wants to tell you about yourself. He wants you to know who you are. And in Hebrews chapter 12, we're just going to look at a couple verses. And I'm going to give you some foundation um, for this. Uh, we're going to talk about your eternal identity. Your eternal identity, because sometimes what we do is we define ourselves by our temporal identity. But you've been given an identity in heaven before you've ever been given an identity on earth. And so if you see the the culture, it's in a struggle right now because 
this, in my generation, I would say the battle was over the value of the individual or the value of life. The life of the unborn, the life of the elderly, the life of the sick, the life of the most vulnerable in society. I would say in this generation, the battle in the culture is over the value of identity. The identity of your gender, the identity of your sexuality, the identity of who you are. And so this generation is battling who they are, which is why for the last 10 to 15 years, we hear this word through the church, identity, 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 because before the enemy could create an identity crisis, God wanted to release a Christ identity into his church. And so you don't have an identity crisis, you have a Christ identity. And if you have a Christ identity, you'll never have an identity crisis. No matter what socioeconomic background you come from, no matter what happens to you, if your identity is based in eternity, you'll never be influenced by a temporal identity. And so this, um, this passage in Hebrews um, gives us a, per- a perspective of our eternal identity. Okay, so we're going to read these three verses. There's a lot to unpack. Hebrews was written by somebody really smart. They were so smart that nobody knows who they are. It's argued like it's put, written by Paul or Paulus, and nobody knows. All we know is this really smart person that makes our head hurt, okay? So I'm going to try to make your head hurt a little bit tonight and hopefully have a little fun at it too, all right? So, but you have come, verse 22, Hebrews 12, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That was just a mouthful in those three verses or those two verses there. But let me just give you a little context here. Because Hebrews is really a passage that is trying to build a bridge from the Jewish understanding of relationship with God to a Gentile understanding. But not only that, it's trying to build a bridge from heaven to earth. And Hebrews talks about a lot of spiritual things. But if you look at Hebrews chapter nine, it talks about the heavenly tabernacle and describes it. Hebrews chapter 10 speaks about the heavenly priest, Jesus, who walks through the heavenly tabernacle. And Hebrews 11, we call it the the hall of faith. It talks about people that had great faith, but it's actually talking about people who saw things in heaven that were supposed to take place on earth. It talks about faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So Hebrews 9 is talking about the unseen tabernacle of heaven. Hebrews 10, talking about the unseen priest, Christ in heaven. And Hebrews 11, talking about the unseen things of heaven that God wants to bring to earth. And faith is a substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things that are not seen. So hope allows us to see what's in the unseen realm and faith allows us to pull it in. So hope is the ability to see what God intends to do and faith is the power to bring it into the seen realm. So a word of knowledge helps me to see what God wants to do but by praying the prayer of faith, I actually pull what's in the unseen into the seen realm. And so Hebrews 12 now talks about our unseen or unknown identity. And it begins by talking about who we are. We're sons of God. He disciplines us as sons and relationships that we have. And this passage in Hebrews 12, here's what it says. But you have come to Mount Zion. 
to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn. What's he talking about? He's talking about heaven. He's talking about you. Here's where you have come. And he's relating it to the experience of the Jewish believers who, when they were brought out of slavery in Egypt, they were brought into a place where God wanted to speak to them. And he brought them to a mountain to speak to them. And if you read the story, it's in Exodus 20 uh, through 25, that Moses brings the people out of their tents and says, God's about to speak to you today. And he brings them to this mountain and the mountain starts to shake and it starts to tremble and fire comes down on the mountain and consumes the mountain. And there's a loud blast blast of the trumpet and the people run away from the mountain and they say, no, we don't want God to speak to us. If he speaks to us, he'll kill us. We want you to speak to us, Moses. To me, it's one of the saddest in, in, of stories in the entire Bible, particularly in the old covenant, because it shows us an old covenant God who still wanted a personal relationship with his people. It shows us an old covenant God who wanted to speak to his people. So God was a God who always spoke. He was a God who spoke from the beginning. He was a God who spoke when Adam and Eve sinned. He was a God who spoke at a burning bush. And he was a God who wanted to speak to all of his people. And they trembled in fear because of the voice of God. But the writer of Hebrews so eloquently says, that's not the mountain that you've come to. This is the mountain you've come to. You've come to the Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to a heavenly Jerusalem, to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. He's talking about heaven. But then he says this, and you have come to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. He's talking about the firstborn of believers in the church and where you were born from, where you were born from when you were born again. And the word born again throughout the scriptures, it's quoted, be born, be born again. In John, in John 3, Jesus is having a conversation with a really smart guy, Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is attracted to Jesus because he does miracles. Miracles grab people's attention. They tell people something. And Nicodemus called Jesus in and said, we know that you've come from God because of the miraculous signs you do. People know that you're different when they see you act different. See, your identity doesn't prove who you are. And what you do doesn't prove who you are. We don't do miracles to prove who we are. We do miracles because of who we are. We don't, speak, we don't speak prophetically to prove that we're prophetic people. We speak prophetically because we are prophetic people. It's out of who we are. We don't pray for the sick because we're healers. We, pray, we heal the sick because we're believers. Because these signs follow those who believe we that's why we pray for the sick and so our identity isn't that we're healers our identity is that we are believers we have become something he told us that we are he created us to be like him and so what happens here is that we see the writer of hebrews begin to share with us who we are nicodemus says to jesus we know that you have come from god because of the miraculous signs you do Jesus said, you can't see the kingdom of God, miracles. You can't see this stuff unless you have been born again. And immediately that's when we get a little confused because in our language, the word again means again. (laughs) It wasn't a trick question. It was a, what does it mean? It means, so it means again. So if you say to your kid, go clean your room and they come out and you look in their room and it's not clean. You're going to say, go clean your room. Because that 
has not been born again. That room has not been born again. That does not look like heaven, okay? So we say, do it again. But when you're born again, you can't ever get born again again. So it's not something you do again and again and again. It's not just a second time, but literally it means born from above. That's what it translated means. You've been born from above. And it's, it's born out in the context of the conversation in John 3. We, teacher, we know that you have come from God because of the miracles you do. Well, you cannot do miracles unless you have come from above. Unless you've been born from above. So guess what? When you were born again, you weren't just born again. You were born from above. When you came to the cross, it wasn't a chance for a do-over. It wasn't, God wasn't saying, go clean your room. He was giving you a new room. He didn't just come and renovate you. No, no. He buried the old you. He wasn't trying to fix you. He wanted to get rid of you. (laughs) So he put you on Jesus and killed you on the cross so that you could now be born again. Something you never were before. So the cross wasn't a second chance to be a better human being. It was the first chance to be born from above. You've been born from above. You're a heavenly being. You're not from this earth. It wasn't a do-over. It was a done and over. So now you can live for the first time ever. Good news. You're dead. That's good news. See, the good news is that Jesus became you and and died like you on the cross. I wanted to say he killed you on the cross, but some of you couldn't handle that. So I, I held my, I held back a little bit, but the good news is that I don't live any longer. I don't live any longer, but Christ lives in me. And so you've come to the church of the firstborn. You've come to the God, the judge of the all, the judge of all spirits, the righteous made perfect to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant to the sprinkled blood. This brings us back to the, the picture of Hebrews 9 and 10. Hebrews 9, the tabernacle of heaven. Hebrews 10, the high priest. And what happened when Jesus died on the cross? He went as the high priest into the tabernacle of heaven. And he passed through the holy of holies into the holy, most holy place. And he sprinkled his blood on the mercy seat. And you've come to this place. And you, he says that you've come to the church of the firstborn. To the place of the sprinkled blood. You've been born from above. Now, stay with me. This picture, actually, in Hebrews 10, it says that when he passed through, he passed through the curtain, which is his body, and he sprinkled his blood on the mercy seat. It's a picture of conception. We're seeing a picture of where the church was conceived in Christ. When Christ sprinkled his blood on the mercy seat, everything that God intended from the beginning of time, the whole story of of creation comes to the whole picture. The fact that God created man in his image and likeness, and Adam was not good for him to be alone is because God didn't want to be alone either. And so out of Adam's side, he brought another one like Adam. He brought Eve so that he could have a help me, one who could walk with him, one who could talk with him, one who could co-create with him, one who could work with him. And Jesus, who is the second Adam on the cross, had his side split and out of it came His blood and water, the church, the bride, the second Eve came once so that God would no longer have to be alone. But he has a helpmeet now in the earth. He is one to walk with him, to co-create with him. The church of the firstborn. The one who came from heaven. 
The one who came from the the conception of God to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You know, back in the 80s, I was was a pastor, was a youth pastor and then a pastor. And it was very popular. And I understand the whole concept that we need to make sense with what we're saying. We need to be culturally relevant. We need to make sense with people. But there was... A really just a, a teaching in the church that we, we should stop talking about stuff that scares people like the blood and crosses and stuff like that, which I totally understand that we need to explain that. But at the same time that the church stopped talking about the blood, the world started talking about blood. So they started having movies about vampires and drinking blood, right? New blood and no blood and tiger blood and blue moon and new moon. No, that's beer, blue moon. Anyway, I don't know why I know that. Probably because I'm in a vineyard church. I figured you guys would know about that. (laughs) 2012, they invited me to speak at the Vineyard Leadership Conference. This isn't being web streamed, is it? Good, I can say this. Awesome. <laughs> 500 pastors from all over Germany, Switzerland, and Austria. And I'm, I grew up, I'm, I'm Assembly of God boy. I grew up, you know, don't smoke, don't chew, don't date girls who do, right? So like, I, didn't know, I didn't know anything about the new wine, you know. Jesus turned water into grape juice. That's what we were taught. And so... <clears throat> so so I preach to these 500 pastors at least I'm praying for them I'm prophesying to them they have a line of people they're lining up and we're in this big conference room in a hotel in, in Berlin and so <laughs> I'd never been to a vineyard conference before or a vineyard church or anything like that you know what I mean I didn't know that they had literally like pubs in some of their churches and stuff like that and so I walk out I hope I can say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. And like just all over the hotel, all the, they're just lined up with their, and this is Germany, so the beer's like water. It's probably safer to drink too. I don't know. So I just, I'm just taking a video. I'm like, I can't wait to show my wife this. This is the most amazing pastor's conference I've ever been at. <laughs> not, not the response to the prophetic word, just the drinking and fellowship afterwards is amazing. Anyway. Where was I? I have no idea. Oh, the church started talking about the blood and the world started talking about the blood. And see, the blood of Jesus is what gives us our identity. What can wash away your sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? I mean, nothing. And so when, when the writer of Hebrews is saying that the blood, of, the blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel, he's not just making up a story. He's actually saying that the blood of Abel, who was the firstborn of creation, to have his blood spilled unjustly. Abel. His brother Cain took him, murdered him, and God said to Cain, where's your brother? He said, am I my brother's keeper? He said, your brother's blood is crying out from the ground against you for vengeance. And what did God do? He protected him from vengeance. But the blood still spoke against them because the blood of the enemy, the blood, the earthly thing that's against you, of your earthly identity, speaks against you, you should be judged. That you're guilty. That you're wrong. And so what does the blood of Jesus say? It it says, mercy triumphs over judgment. It says forgiven. It says free. So the blood of Jesus speaks a better word 
than the blood of Abel. Because every single one of us deserves the same death that Cain, the same curse that Cain had on his life, the same mark on his head. But each one of us was given a new mark, and that's of a son of God, of a daughter of God, of a child of God. So mercy triumphs over judgment. The second reason the blood of Jesus speaks a better word is because it spoke first. So the thing that was speaking against you, you see, you were born under that blood of Abel. You were born under that earthly blood. You were born under that curse. But the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. You're forgiven. But not only does it speak a better word, it spoke first. Because when Jesus' blood was spilled, he didn't just take it and sprinkle it in the earthly temple. He didn't just go to Jerusalem and sprinkle it on the altar. He went up into eternity. He went up into heaven. He sprinkled it on the mercy seat. And the Bible says that he was the lamb that was slain from the foundations of the earth. That means that his blood was speaking for you before the devil ever spoke against you. His blood was speaking you're forgiven before sin ever condemned you. His blood was speaking you're a son, you're a daughter before anyone was ever saying you're not a child of God. And how do I know that? Because Ephesians 1 says that you were chosen, called out by name in him before the foundation of the world. That means before my sin was speaking against me, God was speaking for me. Before my sin was condemning me, God was forgiving me. And all I had to do was enter into what he says about me. And so salvation is when I believe what he already says about me. You say, are you saying that you're a universalist, that everybody's saved? No, but I believe Jesus died for the universe. And all you have to do is believe what Jesus said about you. And the moment you believe he's the son of God, believe he died for you, believe he was risen from the dead. Guess what? You are part of the church of the firstborn. You're born from heaven. You're a new creation. All the old things are passed away. You're not the same person. It's not a do over at being a better person. It's the first chance of you being a heavenly being that God created you to be. So the blood of Jesus speaks a better word because it spoke first. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word because it's just a better word. Somebody say, it's a better word. It's just a better word. Jesus says better stuff than most people say about me. And I tell you something, Jesus says good stuff about you all the time. Do you know the Bible says that Jesus is ever interceding before the father for you? That means Jesus is praying stuff that God wants to do in your life to the father saying, God, this is what I pray for them. That means if I don't agree with what God says about someone else, I'm actually praying against them, not for them. And if I don't agree with what God says about me, I'm actually praying against what he's saying about me. But the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Not only that, but I came across a study and I did it. It's in my book. I I did a study on the blood because I was reading this one time and I said, God, what does this mean? The blood speaks a better word. Blood doesn't even have like it. How can it speak? It doesn't have a voice. And the Lord said, no, search it out. Blood actually has a sound. There's a sound in your blood. So what do you do when God speaks to you? Google it. That's what I do. (laughs) Seriously. I either ask my wife or I Google it. It's like, honey, do you think this is the Lord? And she's like, Google it. So... (laughs) So blood speaks. And do you know that in 2005, there was a medical study done by Harvard Medical School and MIT. Smart people, so it must be true. They took blood samples from 100 people and they developed a program that would take the DNA strand and the protein molecules from that strand and put tones to each molecule. Basically, you're made up of little dots and your strand is made up of little dots. Each one of those little dots has a tone to it. And so they wanted to see 
when they took the blood from each people, if they each had a different sound of their blood, they knew it would have a sound, but they wanted to see if it had a different sound. And it does. So out of the hundred people, everybody had a completely distinct and different sound. But what they didn't know was going to happen was they found out that not only was there a distinct sound to the blood, but there's actually a song in it. So when they take your DNA out of your blood and they put the tones to it, there's actually a melodious song inside of your blood. And everyone has a different song. I think mine's like a German hymn or something like that. So check this out. Is this, is this one on? Oh, and it, here's a sample actually of a guy who was in this study and this is the sound of his blood. Is this on? It's, it's a, got a red light, so I'm hoping it's on. If not... You check it for me. Thanks, Wilson. Yep, it's on. It's on. It's on. The guy's anointed. He just touches it and it goes on. Let's check this out. Turn it up a little bit. That's untouched. That's like exactly from the study. A hundred people they had samples of. That was one of them. A complete melodious song in his, inside of his blood. And what they found out is of the hundred, every single person has a song. You have a song in your blood, actually. You do. In fact, I have the, the links in my, in my book. You could take a sample of your blood and send it to a company. They'll send you back your blood song. Seriously, if you, for a little extra fee, they'll put like drums to it, orchestration to it. Like they do. It's, hey, anything for money, right? But you know, there's a song inside of you because the Bible says that when God created you, he was mighty to save and he rejoices over you with singing. I just had this picture before the foundation of the world that God thought about me. He called me out by name. He chose me. He got so excited. He jumped up. He spun around. He sang a song. He programmed my DNA with it. He just thinks that much about me, that he sings over me. And do you know what? He thinks that much about Robbie Dawkins, too, because he has a blood song. Did you know that? And because we've been hanging around so much together, I actually got a sample of his blood and sent it away to this company. I got it orchestrated and everything. Would you like to hear Robbie Dawkins' blood song? It's, it's really good. You got to really listen, though. You got to get in the mood. Like, okay, get really spiritual. Feel the vibe. Here it is. No, that's not, that's not, sorry, that's, that's, that's Willow Smith, I'm sorry, this, this is really Robbie Dawkins, Come on. absolutely, 100%, that's what people think he is, they think he's a hip-hop artist all the time, that's what now I just met Wilson, but actually on the way from the airport, he picked me up, I pricked him, I got a little sample of the blood, I FedExed it, I got a bag, I heard he's a newlywed, and this is his blood song, is it not surprising? I think it's just destined in heaven. Wait for it. Wait for it. Okay. I better turn that off. Those guys are getting a little frisky over there. Frisky. 
Check it out. This guy, the, this guy that was actually in this sample, there was 14 people in this study that had cancer. And so they took a sample of the cancer cell. They went to see if cancer sounded different in the body of someone. Now, this guy, I, I played his sample for you. This is a sample of a cancer, a colon cancer cell from his body. Can't listen to that anymore. Did you hear the same sound that was in his DNA? But then you heard a discordant sound over it? Because that's the blood of Abel. (laughs) That's the blood that speaks against you. But the blood of Jesus speaks for you. And the blood of Jesus crushes the sound of cancer. Because it doesn't belong in your body. It's literally a discordant sound in your body. It's a discordant sound. It wasn't created in heaven. It's not a sound that was ever in heaven. It's not part of the blood of Jesus that speaks a better word over you. And so what happens is, is that when we understand who we are, where we've come from, we understand that our identity is not a temporal identity. It's an eternal identity. And we can't be defined by an earthly identity. See, when the devil wanted to bring destruction of families in the earth, what did he do? He found a a child that that came against his brother and he found blood to speak against it. And the same thing happened when God created this new creation, this new church, the bride that came out of Jesus' side. You have the church of the firstborn. You remember in Acts chapter 8 through 10, you see a story of there being the first martyr of the church. His name's Stephen. And Stephen is the first of the church of the firstborn whose blood is spilled. And we see the story. He's actually doing signs and wonders and miracles. Why? Because that's who he is. He's demonstrating his identity. And anytime you demonstrate who you are, the devil's going to come against you. Anytime you step into your identity, the devil's going to come against you. Why? Because if you can understand your identity, you can fulfill your destiny. If you can understand your identity, you can get somewhere because you see, if you don't know your identity, you can't get to your destiny. If you don't know who you are, you can try to do stuff and try to work at stuff, but working at stuff isn't going to get you there. But when you know who you are, just like a GPS, if you have a GPS in your phone, if you don't turn your location services on, it's not going to get you where you want to go. Like for me, like I wanted to go to Chipotle's as soon as I got off the, you know, I like if, if Wilson didn't know where there was a Chipotle's, I was going to go Siri. Find the nearest Chipotle's. Because for some reason I just felt like salsa was in the atmosphere. And so, but if you say, where's the nearest Chipotle's and you don't have your location services on, what's going to happen? You're going to get a circle on your phone. It's going to spin around and around and around and around like that. And Siri's going to say, Robert, I can't find you. I don't know where you are. Why? Because she can't get you where you want to go if she doesn't know where you are. And that's a picture of a lot of people in life. They want to get somewhere with God. They want to get to their destiny, but they they don't know where they've come from. And so they're living an earthly identity, trying to get to a heavenly destiny, and they go round and round in circles. But what happens is, when the blood of Jesus speaks clearly over us, it takes us from going around and around in circles. And so Stephen is out doing what he's been called to do, doing signs and wonders and miracles, and the religious people call him in and say, you can't do that. That's not what we do around here. And the Bible says that they took him out and they began to stone him. There was a young man there. His name was Saul. He gathered rocks. He passed them out to people. And then he gathered their coats. And the story, I won't go into the whole story, but there's, a, there's certain parts of it that are so powerful. As they're throwing rocks at Stephen, he looks up and he sees heaven open. Now think about this. Here's a guy who's been born from above, who's been doing 
the works of heaven. We know, teacher, we know you've come from God because you do miraculous signs. He's doing miraculous signs because he's come from heaven. He's, he's at a place where all hell is coming against him. The religious environment is coming against him. Criticism's coming against him. You know what? You may not get persecuted for your faith, but you might get persecuted because you have faith. Because if you're a person of faith and you say, well, you know, I'm not going to compromise at work the way other people compromise at work. You might get persecuted for that, even though it's not because you're a Christian, it's because you're living out your identity. And when you start to live out your identity, the devil will try to get you to compromise. But if you don't compromise, what happens is, is you put yourself in a position where you see heaven open and you see what heaven wants to do. And Stephen is in a place where he's having rocks thrown at him, but it says he saw heaven open and Jesus standing at the right hand of the father. Instead of seeing Saul, his persecutor, instead of seeing these angry people throwing rocks at him, he saw Jesus. Here's my question to you. What if whenever the person that you're trying to love throws rocks at you, instead of seeing someone throwing rocks at you, you see Jesus standing next to the father singing a song where the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What if instead of thinking about what happened to you in your past and look, I know that stuff can happen to us in our past. We all have a story. Some of us have been abused. Some of us have been touched wrong. Some of us have been said the wrong things to us. Some of us have been taken advantage of. Some of us have been betrayed. But can I tell you something? Instead of seeing a betrayer or an abuser or an accuser, if you could see heaven open and Jesus standing next to the Father singing a song that's better than the blood of Abel, you'll be able to hear his song instead of the accusation. You'll be able to hear what he says about you instead of the angry words that have come against you from the time you were a child. And instead of letting the song of abuse play over your life, let the song of the Father play over your life. Instead of letting the song of victimization play over your life, let the song of adoption play over your life. Instead of letting the song of sin and what sin did to you, what sin sin was done against you play over your life, let the blood of Jesus speak a better word than the blood of Abel. And so Stephen sees Jesus, not Saul. Stephen doesn't even know Saul's there. But he says something, Father, he's not saying stop throwing rocks at me. You guys can't do that. That's not right. That's not what Christians do. What kind of Pharisee do you think you are? What kind of pastor are you? If you're a real pastor, you'd call me back. If you're a real pastor, you'd counsel me. If you're a real pastor, instead of saying, if you're a real Pharisee, this is what you would do. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know who they really are. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. Not for what they're doing, but forgive them for not knowing who they are. Because if they knew who they were, they wouldn't do this. If they knew who you were, they wouldn't do this. If they knew what real religion was, what real faith is, what God really came to do, they wouldn't do this. So Father, forgive them. This isn't who they are. And by seeing Jesus instead of seeing the abuser, and by speaking a better word instead of speaking against, what happens is Stephen releases the song of heaven over Saul. Right? So a few weeks later, Saul's follow the yellow brick road, right? Kill some Christians. You know, he's, out, he's just whistling down the lane, getting ready to kill some Christians. And all of a sudden, a light comes from heaven. A song, a voice burst out of heaven. Saul, Saul, who are you? Per- why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. Who are you persecuting? Wait, he wasn't persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting Stephen. 
He wasn't persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting the church. He wasn't persecuting Jesus. Yeah. You pick a fight with me, you pick a fight with Jesus. <laughs> because if I see Jesus instead of seeing my abuser, guess what? When you pick a fight with me, you pick a fight with Jesus. When I let Jesus fight my battles, he fights my battles. When I let Jesus hit the last word, Jesus gets the last word. When, I, when you have to get the last word, then you're going to get the last word. When he gets the last word, it's over. It's done. And in fact, that was the last word, wasn't it? It is finished. Legal language, which means there's nothing written against you. There's no case that can come against you. There's no evidence against you. There's nothing because the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. It is finished. And so what happens is, is when we forgive what's been done against us, we actually release the sound of heaven into that person's life. We actually release what God wants to do in their life. We let them off the hook for what they did to us. But what we do is we actually free ourselves from what they wanted us to be. Because we're no longer a victim, we're an overcomer. And this Saul, who was an abuser, became a builder. The Saul, who was a, a persecutor, became a father of the church. Why? We don't see anyone else pray for Saul. We don't see anyone else preach the gospel to Saul. We don't see him getting saved at a crusade. We don't see him getting saved by watching a TV ministry. We don't see him getting saved by watching Robbie Dawkins on a video. What we do is we see him having an encounter with heaven because someone else had an encounter with heaven. And Stephen's encounter with heaven while he was being abused opened, the, opened up the way for Saul to have an encounter with heaven. And I believe tonight what God's going to do all over this place in this room is there's stories that are going to be told over these next few weeks of changed lives, of family members coming back to Christ of family members that have been long estranged coming back to Christ, coming back into relationship together, of think people that have been abusers of the church being restored back to the church. I believe that there's, there's something coming even to, in this church. I believe that over the last two years that there's been people who felt like they didn't fit in the church because they, there started to be a sound that came out of this church. It was like the sound of heaven and they weren't used to the sound of heaven. But I feel like God's about to restore some people back to the church that are going to hear the sound of heaven again. There's a homecoming. And when those sheep come home, we say, welcome home. Because this is where you belong. This is going to be a place where they're going to belong. If you're here tonight and you feel like that you have, there's someone in your life you have to forgive. Let me tell you something that happened. I was, I was teaching this lesson in Pennsylvania of a couple years ago. And, uh, we had people stand up that needed to forgive a family member. And, um, their lady came to me in the hallway the next day. She said, you know, I haven't talked to my father in, in over 30 years. And she goes, and I haven't seen my brother for about 15 years. She said, the next day after I forgave my father, my brother calls me and said, hey, sis, dad's sick. And, and she said, well, we should pray for him that, that he would get healed. He said, what do you mean prayer? He does, he's not even, she said, well, I'm at this healing conference and we're praying for the sick. Let's call him together. So her brother that she hasn't talked to in 15 years gets on the phone with her and her father who she hasn't talked to in 30 years. And together they pray for the father who they both haven't seen in 30 years and he gets healed. The sister and the brother come back into relationship. The father who is older, older in life and hasn't seen his kids for 30 years, comes into relationship with God and the family gets restored. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Amen. 
Here's what I want to do all over this place. If you feel like there's someone in your life that you need to see like Saul, like Stephen was able to see instead of Saul, see Jesus, see heaven open. There's someone that you need to see differently and you need to forgive them tonight. All over this place, I'm not going to do an altar call. We're not going to do pretty music. We're not going to get you emotional. If you feel like that you need to stand up tonight and say, I want the blood of Jesus to speak a better word over them. You feel like you need to forgive someone tonight. Stand to your feet. I believe there's a grace in this place for relationships to be restored, for homes to be restored, uh, for fellowship to be restored, family members. I also feel like there's a grace over this region for the church to come together. And I feel like the Lord is saying that because... Um, some of you have experienced even pain at the hands of the church, but you've allowed that blood, the, the blood that you spilled to speak a better word, that there's going to come even a restoration and a healing in, in relationships with churches. And so God, we just pray right now. And if you just need to release someone, I just want you to just see, see heaven open. I don't want you to picture them. I want you to ask the Lord, God, show me what heaven says tonight. Show me what heaven looks like tonight. Holy Spirit, would you come into this place? Would you release a grace like was on Stephen? When he was able to see heaven open and see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And he was able to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they did. Say it with me. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they did. Father, forgive them. That's not who they were created to be. Okay, the Holy Spirit move. So what's happening with some of you is that that's breaking off your identity off of that attachment. See, you've prayed that prayer before, but somehow your identity's still been attached to that person in that moment, in that situation. God, I just say they're never, they're never going back to that moment of abuse. They're never going back to that moment. Their identity is not going to be the abused one. Their identity is going to be child of God, son of God. Say, Father, forgive them. Show them who they really are.
Now, Holy Spirit, come. Show us who we really are. We get to be like Stephen and not Abel. We get to say mercy and not judgment. We get to say forgiveness and not punishment. Just going to ask the keyboard, to player, uh, keyboard player to come up. Just want everyone to stand with me to your feet. Let's stand together. Just lift your hands to the Lord. There's a real grace here to... Um, there may be even people that God would speak to you just to even call tonight, maybe tomorrow morning. Maybe not to tell them what they did or even say, I forgive you, but to tell them who they really are. Sometimes when you start treating pe- people like who they really are, you give them the permission to become who they were created to be. It doesn't mean you go back into an abusive relationship. It doesn't mean you don't have proper boundaries. It doesn't mean you don't have wisdom. And sometimes what it is is actually finding the person that can be who God wants, wanted that person to be for you. Or finding the part of God that that person wasn't for you. Sometimes it's forgiving yourself. Father, forgive me. That's not who I really am. Father, forgive me. I would have never done that if I would know who I really was. Some of you carry around things in your identity, even in your body, that are the effects of who you used to be or who you were born to be, but not who you were created to be. When Jesus came, he came to have all the old things pass away and everything become new. Several years ago, I was preaching at a little church right when I first started preaching. A long time ago, it was 1998. I preached at this little church in Pennsylvania. At the end of the meeting, I asked if anyone wanted to give their life to Christ. And several people came up and I led them in a prayer to give their life to Christ. Went something like this. I believe you're the son of God, Jesus. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again. Come into my life. Make all the old things new, all the dead things alive. Just a simple prayer that I lead people in. This man prayed this prayer. I came back a year later. He met me at the door. He said, do you remember me? I was here last year. I said, I'm sorry, sir. I don't remember you. He goes, I came and I gave my life to Christ. And we prayed that all the old things would go away and all the new things would come. And he said, that happened in my life. I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. He goes, no, you don't understand. He goes, I was diagnosed with hepatitis C because my past life of drug use and dirty needles I've used and things like that. He said, you can't be healed of hepatitis C. I said, I would have to manage it. I would have to get blood tests all the time. He said, a week after I gave my life to Christ, I was scheduled to go to the doctor, have my regular hepatitis C test. 
He said, I went to the doctor. The doctor took the blood test, called me with the results later on when they came in and said, we need you to take this test again. Something's wrong with your results. We can't find hepatitis C in your body. So he said, I went back. I took the blood test again. The doctor called me again with the results. He said, this is the strangest thing. He said, even if your levels of hepatitis C in your system went down or they were completely not there, you would still have markers in your blood that would tell you this is where you once had hepatitis C. He said, not only don't you have hepatitis C, you don't have markers in your blood anymore that you had hepatitis C. It's just as if you never had hepatitis C. He said, he said, is that because of what we prayed? And I'm like, I don't think my prayer was that good, man. <laughs> See, at the time, I didn't understand that the blood of Jesus, when it says it's a better word, it's a better word. And when all the old things pass away, everything becomes new. Uh, the Lord spoke to me today that tonight he wants to heal things and issues of blood. He wants to heal blood conditions. He wants to heal hepatitis C. He wants to heal diabetes. He wants to heal. Uh, several years ago, I was in West Virginia. It was a Friday night uh, conference that I was doing with a couple of friends of mine. And someone else preached that night. I didn't preach, but we were just praying with people at the altar. And I, I went up to this young lady. I just put my hand on her and I just said, I just saw you in a wedding dress that was white getting married. And she fell on her knees on the ground and she started to weep and immediately I knew what the Lord, why the Lord wanted me to say that to her. And I got down on my knees and I, and I, and I told her, I said, you've been thinking that you can't get married and, and wear white because of what you've done in the past. But God wants you to know that you're going to wear white at your wedding. And, there's, and God's healing you of all the effects of past relationships in your life. And he's healing you of things in your body. And she began to weep and she began to weep. And she literally went through a spiritual deliverance. But... She had a sexually transmitted disease because of past relationships that she had. It so happened that we were friends of the family and my wife and I were invited to go to her wedding and her family didn't know this story. But we got to watch her and her husband dance and as we walked out the door to, to say goodbye, we, we hugged them both around the neck and she whispered in my ear, it's completely gone. All the old things pass away and everything becomes new. See, I believe what the word says is that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And I believe sometimes we carry the effects of what's happened to us. We carry the effects of what we've done as if somehow we're carrying our cross. Well, Jesus took up that cross. That's not the cross he tells you to pick up, to follow him. Your cross is not to pick up the effects of sin or the effects of abuse or the effects of your past. Your cross is to let Jesus take that on the cross and crucify that on the cross so that you can take up what he gave you. And that is that you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He became sin for you so that you could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And I believe tonight all over this place that there's things that are going to just be burned out of people's lives, out of their systems. If there's anything in your, in your body that's an effect of your past, of either what's happened to you or what you did, tonight the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We were in a meeting in upstate Michigan and... The Lord gave me a word that there were seven young people there that had been cutting themselves. 
And I have a, I have a family member who had gone through that, um, that situation in her life. And she happened to be there at that conference. And seven young ladies came up because they were struggling with identity issues and they were, they were harming themselves. And, and I had other young ladies come up and pray for these young ladies. And all seven of them, the scars disappeared from their arms of where they were cutting themselves. And one of them was under the hands of this family member that was with me that, that had had that problem in her life. Why? Because when the blood of Jesus speaks a better word over your life, he doesn't speak it over your life alone. He speaks it through you over the lives of other people. And what the devil meant for evil, God uses it for good. See, I believe tonight that God is truly taking all the old things and making them new. He's taking all the dead things and he's making them alive. And if you're carrying any effect in your body in any way and we're not going to ask for a specific altar call but if you feel like that fits you in any way any of those things or you feel like there's something that the Lord wants to take away right now and give you the brand new just lift a hand where you're at we're just going to pray we're going to minister to one another for a second if you see someone around you with their hand lifted up just at least one person put a hand on them even if you have to turn around look around if someone's got their hand raised you don't have to know the details the blood of Jesus speaks a better word I just want you to release that over them. There's a few people here standing with their hands up. Just make sure everyone that's got their hand up has someone praying for them, if you would. We're just going to pray right now. Father, in Jesus' name. God, I thank you for the blood of Jesus. Just begin to declare the blood of Jesus over them. In Jesus' name, God, we thank you that the effect of sin is gone. It's broken in Jesus' name. God, we thank you that hepatitis C goes now in Jesus' name. God, we thank you that every sexually transmitted disease goes now in Jesus' name. God, we thank you, Lord, the effect of abuse is broken in Jesus' name. The emotional effect, the physical effect in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you right now. Self-harm scars are gone in Jesus name. God, I thank you right now. The blood of Jesus is speaking a better word. The blood of Jesus is speaking a better word over a generation in Jesus name. And God, I thank you in the name of Jesus. I thank you in the name of Jesus right now. Just begin to bless them right now. Just begin to bless them right now. Just begin to bless them. Begin to bless them. Begin to bless them. That, that we just declare that they are part of the church of the firstborn. We declare that they are part of the church of the firstborn. They are part of the church of the firstborn. And what you said about them is sure and secure over their life in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. God, I thank you. In Jesus' name. There was a young, uh, young lady that came up and got the, the CD for me in the, in the denim right there. Right? What's your name? Jenna. I just saw these words, um, just writing this writing over your head. And I saw this pen from heaven drop into your hand. And I just feel like the Lord said there was a time in your life where you used to write words that came from your heart, almost like dear diary, dear diary, dear diary. And I saw the Lord just flip a new page and the Lord wrote on the top of it, dear daughter. And he began to write to you. And I just feel like what was like a dark time in your life when there was dark words that were written. I just feel like the Lord is releasing new words of life. And there's like a poetic and a lyrical gift that's in your life. And there's a songwriter in you. And God's going to release songs of life over a generation. But I also hear the Lord say that there's like another language he's going to add to you. And I feel like there's like a language you're, you're studying. And you're going to even write songs and sing songs in another language. And I, and I feel like the Lord is going to give you a heart. And I don't 
feel like it's Spanish. So God, I just thank you even for the Latin American culture that you're going to give to her. I thank you for the flowing Latin language that you're going to give to her, God. And Father, I thank you that she's going to sing songs of the Father's heart over his daughters. And I feel like there's coming even an opportunity uh, this year for like a short-term missions trip. And I feel like the Lord's going to use you in the lives of even like children that have been trafficked and women that have been trafficked. And God's going to give you a heart for the fatherless and motherless ones. And you're going to release a song of the Father over them. In Jesus' name, amen. Give God a shout tonight. Thank you, God. Amen. Well, Robbie Dawkins is going to come. What time do we come back tomorrow morning? 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. And we have worship at 10. Is Is that right? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to give about three people a high five and say the blood of Jesus speaks a better word to you. Amen. Have a great night. Love you guys. We'll see you tomorrow.